ask, don't tell. So when you go to your employees, instead of telling them what to do each day, you do this, you do that, don't do that. Ask them, what do you think you should be doing? How do you think you should do it? What's the best way to do it? Do you have any other ideas? As soon as you ask somebody, you make them way more innovative. You turn on their brain, like instead of them waiting for you to, you to tell them, you're asking them. That's hack number one. Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, we have an incredible guest with us, Captain Hoff. I discovered Captain Hoff through TikTok, where he's been sharing some truly insightful content condensed into the storyteller model. We had a fantastic intro call, and I was blown away by all the incredible work he's doing at Founderspace. So let's dive right in as Captain Hoff shares his journey, the story behind Founderspace, and why he's called Captain. Stay tuned for a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. Captain Hoff, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. It is fantastic to be here. Dude, so just a short intro. I mean, we'll have an intro, but or I found Captain Hoff through TikTok. I mean, he's been creating some really amazing content there. It's really intellectual stuff that he's putting and it's condensed in the storyteller model. And I was like, wow, I need to talk to this person in a more depth and got to speak with him earlier in a intro call and then I just love all the things that you're doing. Thank you. We are doing a lot here at Founderspace. So, Kevin Hoff, how about sharing with the audience uh, how you got started? What is Founderspace and why you're called a captain? Because that was a cool conversation we had. So, well, I'll start with Founderspace. So, we are an international startup accelerator and venture builder. So we work with startups all over the world. We're based in Silicon Valley, but we, I'm constantly on a plane working with entrepreneurs and we help them launch their companies and grow their companies and raise capital and figure out those hard problems that all entrepreneurs face. I got the name Captain Hoff because essentially I am the captain of the team. And I believe entrepreneurship is a team sport. Mm -hmm. Like when we choose companies, we choose it based on the team, not just on the CEO. has to be a great team because great CEO without the team to back him or her up almost always fails. Solopreneurs almost never make it. So it's a mm -hmm. team sport. I am the captain and coach for these entrepreneurs at Founderspace, and that's how I got my name. My background, you wanted to know where I came from. So mm -hmm. I have a strange background. So I dreamed as a child of becoming the next Spielberg of making movies. Oh, and nice. I made over 50 films, you know, oh, all the way God. from grade school through mm -hmm. high school. I was very prolific. My parents, my father, when I wanted to go to film school said, son, you'll never get a job in the film industry. <laughs> you, oh, you want a serious career, study computers. And this was a while back. So he was prescient. You know, he was mm -hmm. an MIT professor and he understood that computers were going to change everything. Yes. So out of respect for him, I went into electrical computer engineering and I graduated uh, with honors, but my yes. heart wasn't in it. I just wasn't passionate about that. So for grad school, I went to film school 
It was an amazing experience. I went to USC, graduated USC, went into Hollywood, worked my way up from the bottom all the way to a TV development executive. Nice. Then I jumped to Japan because I saw games were going to be big. And, yeah. and at that time, the game company Sega had just surpassed Nintendo as the number one game company in the world. It was nice. back when Sega and Nintendo were competing. Yeah, PlayStation was just a blip on the radar. And I joined Sega uh, on their creative team, uh, designing games. They wanted somebody from Hollywood to come in and write scripts and design games with them. So it was really great experience we even worked with michael jackson on a big project and i got to meet him that was a that was a thrill after that i decided i have to have my own game company and this is when i became an entrepreneur i was like i just can't work for somebody else's big company in japan it's a great experience but i want my own company so i moved back to my home which is california landed in san francisco launched my first company lava mine basically with my own money, bootstrapped it, launched a game of all names. It's called Gazillionaire. And it's it's all about, it's a business simulation game about how you become a gazillionaire, which nice. is what I teach entrepreneurs today. Mm. The game was a big hit, did incredibly well. In fact, it is still available on Steam and other game platforms. It's no still out there after all. It's a classic. And I launched a whole bunch of games. I did a whole bunch of startups. In Silicon Valley, I raised venture capital, did all the stuff. And then I decided, oh, I want to, wouldn't it be great to help other entrepreneurs who are just beginning? And that's when I launched Founderspace. Man, I totally love that origin story, especially because now jumping in and teaching high school students the power of entrepreneurship and how 99.7% of businesses in the U.S. are small businesses and the power of a team. I mean, this is, this is so, this is so, what's that word? There's a word for, (laughs) I can't remember, but the word is a synergistic or, you know, it's like fate, right? Having to, Mm -hmm. getting to talk to someone like yourself and then teaching entrepreneurship to a a class of students. It's, it's kind of like, you can't make this stuff up. And if you want even more serendipity here, mm-hmm. uh, serendipity you know, gazil- right. uh, gazillionaire is actually used in hundreds of high schools to teach business wow. okay. and entrepreneurship. I can give you a copy. You can use it in your, your class. <laughs> that would be super, super fun. Thank you so much, Steve. So my pleasure. So as you're going through this, you've launched Founder Space. You went through this entire a journey of, okay, yes, dad, I will go into computers, then going and fulfilling your own dreams of being into the film industry, get to this TV executive. And then you just kept seeing the trend is what I'm seeing. It's like, you're like, you're riding that wave of trend of computers to games, to game consoles, to now the startup. Startup space. That's exactly right. I could see that tech. I was a gamer too. So not mm-hmm. only did I love film, but I was passionate about games. You know, I yeah. grew up with the Atari, uh, playing all mm-hmm. these games. I made all these board games. So I wasn't just making movies. I was making <laughs> board game after board game after yeah. board game. So when when I was in Hollywood, I was actually a little frustrated because I wanted to be a creative person. Mm-hmm. I wanted to create the content, but I actually got promoted into a role which is called development executive, which is a little creative, but Mm -hmm. really what your job is, is to pick the projects, our company. So I was working for this big Hollywood company and 
produced we the company produced hundreds of you know movies and tv shows mm -hmm. and things like that and my job was to find the next great script wow. so but i wanted to create something so when i got that chance i actually met the founder of sega and most nice. people don't know this but he's an american and <laughs> and you know they think it's a japanese company but sure. it stands for service games sega and oh, he was in World War, you know, he was on the base after World War II and mm -hmm. he launched with pinball machines and all this stuff. So I went into him and because I was a gamer, not just a film guy, sure. I started telling him all my ideas for games because I created games too. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you, you know, a Hollywood guy that gets games, we want you in our headquarters. So that meeting changed mm -hmm. my life. And then, you know, and then I launched a startup because I was, I wanted to make my own games. I didn't yeah. want to just make games for a big company. Sure. And that began my career as an entrepreneur, like a true entrepreneur. I learned the hard way, like literally, like <laughs> when we launched our, our first game, like we put all our money on the line, like to make this game gazillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you know, you don't know if it's going to go or not when you're an yeah. entrepreneur, you have no idea. And this was the early days of the internet, literally the internet uh, was not it existed, but Just, nobody was using it yeah. except total geeks. And the way we got our game out is really interesting. We uploaded it to BBS services, bulletin board systems. Yeah. And people started to download it. And literally yeah. the first sale we got was from none other than a guy called Lord Geck. Because if you want a geeky gamer name, it's Lord Gek. <laughs> That's a Lord and he sent us. He actually, there was no e-commerce. So he had yeah. to literally send us cash in an envelope. Oh, my God. <laughs> for and we had to mail him back a stack of floppy disks. Yes. Like that's, that was e-commerce in the early days. Before Amazon, before downloads, before, before Steam. Oh yeah. It was, and then we invited him over for dinner because he was in the Bay Area. And we yeah. met him. We thought it was, he was our first sale. Oh, my God. But after that. After that, we got a lucky break. The QA team, the quality assurance team that tests games mm -hmm. at the largest PC game publisher in the world, Micropro Spectrum Holobyte at the time, they got hooked on our game. Of course. And they came to us and said, we want to publish your game. And we were like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like, you know, manna from heaven. How did this happen? And so no. we cut a publishing deal with them. And they took it worldwide. They took the game all the way. And that kind of made our company and really got us started. That's so beautiful to hear too, because just recently, probably a few months ago, Apple TV Plus launched this movie called Tetris and the story behind Tetris and how it was developed by this programmer in Russia and then the whole licensing deal, like the whole stories around licensing the product out of one country to another country to have publishing rights and whatnot. I have another serendipitous story. So yes. I know Hank Rogers, the guy who brought Tetris no to the way. world. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I actually, when I, one of my startups that I did was an interactive TV startup and yeah. I was in Hollywood. I was back in Hollywood, but this time as the tech guy making yeah. interactive TV. So this nice. is later in my career. And one of the guys I knew he was working for Hank Rogers and he was kind of in their game in business the development area. Yeah, yeah. And he had left the company and I approached him and I was like, Hey, could we get Tetris and make a TV show out of it? <laughs> you know, because an interactive TV show, can yeah. we get the rights to Tetris? Yeah. And he was like, well, let me ask Hank. And he went to Hank and Hank gave us the rights to an interactive TV show. 
So we actually planned out the whole show. We did everything. We went into Hollywood with this show that was going to be with huge Tetris blocks falling on a digital screen and people (laughs) competing. And we got meetings with like all these amazing people, like the showrunners for Survivor. This is when Survivor just launched. It's still big, but this is when it just launched. It was huge, right? We got meetings at ABC Mm. and we were pitching Tetris. Now, Hollywood, not everything gets made. <laughs> so course, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we came so close to getting a green light on that show, but we didn't get a green light. And eventually the rights reverted back, you know, to yeah, that yeah. company. But like, hey, you have that, was my, or... that was my personal Tetris experience. We were the first ones to pitch a Tetris TV show. I don't think it, it's ever been made into a TV show, yeah. but if it did, I, I would be very happy to see how it turns out. <laughs> Oh my God, this is so cool. I mean, getting to talk to you, who spoke with Hank Rogers and just two days ago, watched this movie and like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy. This is cool. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I mean, well, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of things in my life. I like to say I've had more careers than cats have had lives. (laughs) So (laughs) from my early days as an electrical computer engineer, mm-hmm. uh, working for one of you know GM, General Motors, yeah, yeah. all the way through to you know, filmmaking, game making, entrepreneur with tech company, venture capitalist, author. I I just basically my advice to entrepreneurs is just go where the world takes you. Like yeah. you don't try to control it, don't limit yourself. In fact, yes. just dive in and do it. That's kind of my advice. And when you do that, kind of magic happens. Things that you never expected. Uh, that make your life so much richer. Man, this that's the best advice that I can even talk about because tomorrow I'm going back, you know, to teach class number two. It's going to be focusing on the entrepreneur mindset. Like how much of the mindset is involved in being an entrepreneur or, or launching a new company? I think mindset, you have entrepreneurs, like to be a true entrepreneur, and this is my philosophy, to be yes. a true entrepreneur, you have to be a little crazy. Like mm. if you are just like totally normal by the book person, you are not going to be a great entrepreneur mm. because you're just going to do what everybody else does. And really great entrepreneurs are the ones who just go their own direction mm. and stumble. It's usually stumble that you don't know at the beginning. So the mindset can't be, I figured it out. This is why right. when I talk to entrepreneurs, like I'm constantly screening entrepreneurs mm. for investment, for, you know, to be admitted into founder space, our incubator. Sure. When I talk to entrepreneurs, I'm not looking for somebody who's done normal stuff in their life. I'm looking for somebody who's gone out on an edge, tried something really risky, tried yeah. something, you know, a little crazy. And it doesn't have to be about entrepreneurship. They could have been a mountain climber, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. challenged themselves to, to climb, uh, you know, a huge mountain. They could have yeah. been an actor, right? And started a career. But I just want somebody who's willing to take those risks. Mm-hmm. And like I say, you have to be a little unbalanced because you have to believe in something usually that nobody else believes in, because if they already believed in it, they would be doing it. It would be done. Like, (laughs) so you wouldn't be paving any new ground. You wouldn't be, Mm -hmm. you know, blazing trails. You would just be following the herd and entrepreneurs, true entrepreneurs cannot follow the herd. So you can get people on your team that follow you, but if you're going to be the lead, the CEO, the quote unquote visionary, then you have to have a vision and you, that the challenge with entrepreneurs is you have to have this mindset Mm. that I can do anything. 
I can, you know, I can, and I'm willing to try anything and I will take the risk at the same time. You have to be realistic because you have to look at the real world and real data. So it's this dual mindset. It's not like one or the other. If you're right. just crazy, you're just going to, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are just crazy, but they cannot execute on anything or sure. uh, connect with the real world. They end up, you know, spinning their wheels like they have crazy ideas, but nothing ever happens. And then there's the other entrepreneurs who are too practical. You got to be in the middle. You got to have your crazy half of your brain yeah. and your practical half of your brain. Yeah. And the combination of those, that is what makes great entrepreneurship. Man, I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I mean, I keep keep trying to think of what questions would be the next one, but you've got such a rich experience and rich journey throughout your career. It's It's just been... It's amazing. It's amazing. I can tell you another story. So, yes, uh, but I will say that for anybody who really wants to be an entrepreneur out there, I have a book published by HarperCollins called Surviving a Startup. And it Surviving literally startup. goes through all the basics, like everything you need to do to really be a good entrepreneur. And I, I recommend it. Of course, I'm the author. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but let me tell you a story of my first, I told you a story of when I launched my company Lava Mind and made Gazillionaire right. and a bunch of other games. Yeah. Well, after I did Lava Mind, I actually the internet had come full force. You know, the Mosaic yeah. browser was launched and Netscape was launched, and it was like a really exciting time. And I was like, we can't just keep making games. We have to make a, a, we have to do this internet thing, right? And I wanted to do it in entertainment and technology because that's that was my alley. That was what I was passionate about. So I got together with my friend and she was my friend from film school, another yeah. you know film school grad. And she had gone to New York and was working for this big ad agency. And they had just developed a massively multi-user online game for Microsoft, one of the very first ones. And it was mm -hmm. a casual like game show thing where it was called NetWits. And it was all about, it was basically funded by Expedia that Microsoft owned. Yeah, And the, they had finished that project but the engineer had the code for it. He was the genius behind uh, creating this massively multi-user gaming software yeah. in the early days when nobody was, you know, very few people were massively multiplayer gaming. There's one game called EverQuest and that was, that was really, that was it. So we uh, said, what if we took this technology mm -hmm. and actually applied it to television, TV broadcasting? <laughs> There's my passion. There yeah. Could we create interactive television where people could play along on their computers and watch TV at the same time in perfect synchronization. Could we do that? We didn't know it was possible, mm -hmm. but what we did was we, we knew we had this base technology and we had kind of the DNA to do television and gaming. So yeah. the first thing we did is we started to call MTV because we heard that <laughs> MTV was going to produce an interactive TV game show with Amit Zappa, Frank Zappa's son. Yeah. And it was called Web Riot. And they were looking for a technology partner. So we called them up and left message after message after message. And guess what happened? They picked up. That we were we were calling the, the direct line of the senior yeah. vice president of Interactive. They never called us back. They never called never. back. Oh, man. Never. <laughs> so my friend, she actually, because of her previous job, got invited to speak at CES. So she went to CES 
And like all great entrepreneurs, she started talking about our vision for what we were building, even though we hadn't built it yet. Like we just had to, you know, we just begun, right? We hadn't built anything really. And she started talking about how we're going to do interactive TV and blah, 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 blah. And after her talk, this guy comes running up from the audience, pushes through everybody and literally goes up to her and says, I am the senior vice president of MTV and you have exactly what we need. <laughs> no. <laughs> and she looked at him and she goes, I know I've been leaving messages on your voicemail. <laughs> so we so cool. uh, got, we literally closed a deal a few weeks later with mm-hmm. MTV for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which to us seemed like, you know, heaven yeah, in those days, yeah, like a yeah. huge amount of money. And the only catch was we had to deliver, uh, this was at the beginning of the year, we had to deliver uh, within nine months, the mm. complete system. The, oh, wow. the We had to literally build it out and deliver it. And it had to work because this was television. Yeah. <laughs> MTV, in these days, you know, now TV companies and film companies, they'll work with internet, no problem. But mm. in these days, they were very scared. Because who were we? We were nobody, right? The internet was just beginning. And how, if they were going to put this on air, it had to work or their reputation would be tarnished. So we're under intense pressure. And we literally spent day and night building out this platform and building the content. So we're building this interactive TV game show where you could play along on your computer. It never Mm -hmm. been done. And actually, it would you would uh, play along in perfect frame accurate mm-hmm. synchronization with the TV broadcast. And then it would take the winners of the show and actually broadcast them live oh, onto wow. TV. And so it was a, a lot of new things that we had okay. never, we had never experienced. Yeah. We didn't even know if it was possible to keep it in frame accurate sync, or if we could handle the amount of traffic that MTV and Viacom were about to throw at us. Yeah. And as we get closer to the launch date, we have two major problems, like really serious problems. Number one, we are running out of money. <laughs> what seemed like a lot of money was no longer a yeah. lot of money. Mm-hmm. So we were running around talking to venture capitalists saying, please, please you know, we got the, we, you know, we got this deal with MTV, fund mm-hmm. us. We found the perfect company, the perfect VC, venture capital, and they were in Los Angeles. It was run by a big Hollywood guy and it had Mm -hmm. all these famous people like Michael Milken and founder of all these, you know, tech companies and media companies on their board. And we pitched them and they said, absolutely, we will fund this. And uh, they prompt, they said $5 million, no problem. Mm -hmm. So they, they start. So we were like super excited. So we're like, negotiating the deal. We're spending a lot of money on lawyers. Like we racked up a bill of $60,000 on legal fees. It's crazy, but we're going to close this deal and we're getting close to launch. And right before launch, we're about to close the deal. Mm -hmm. And you know what they said? You know what the venture firm said? What did they say? They said, we don't want to fund you now. We'll, we want to wait until after you launch. And if it's successful, then we'll give you the money. And we're what? like, oh, but you told us you'd give us the money now. <laughs> we worked out the whole deal. And they go, well, we want to wait. So we had no choice, right? So we said, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, like, but we didn't know what to say. This is our first startup. Yeah. We had no idea what to do. Yeah. So we said, okay. And then we just focused on <laughs> finishing just build, uh, the, yeah. the launch of WebRiot. And 
MTV was getting more and more nervous because they had literally spent huge amounts of money advertising, you know, day and night on MTV, the show Web Riot is coming, Web Riot is coming, Web Riot is coming, you know, to get, you know, make a huge hype out of this, that yeah. they were the first one to launch this type of show in America. And we uh, get right up to the launch date, everything's set. And it's not like today. There were no cloud systems. We right. couldn't put it on Amazon. We couldn't do, you know, there's no scalability. We had to get our own, you know, space racks in a data center, stack up our computers. People don't yeah. even realize today how hard this is. Hard, and we had no yeah. way of testing, load balance testing, because you can't really test. The, we, we just had no way of simulating what it yeah, would be like yeah. to get hundreds of thousands of users at once. Oh my God. So we launch and we are counting down. It's like 10 minutes before launch. And users are starting to flood in because they've done all this pre-promotion. Users after users, we see the numbers going up and up and up and up and up. And we're like, oh my God. And you know what happens? The whole system crashes. No. <laughs> Crashing down. We, I, was, I practically had a heart attack. And I'm on the West Coast. MTV is on the East Coast. And one of our engineering team is in New Jersey and my partner is in LA. We're a distributed team. We don't even have an office because we don't have money for an office. And the senior vice president of MTV calls and I pick up the phone and you don't know the swear words that I heard on that phone. He's like, blah, 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 what the blah is going on? You told you this is television. It's not the internet. It cannot crash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the show won't work without this. And go, well, hold on. Let me talk to my engineering team. I finally got them off the phone, called the engineering team. I was like, you know, it's down. And they go, we know. And <laughs> they go, right what's here. wrong? And they go, it's not our fault. We are being hacked. It's a denial of service attack. Oh my and this God. is the early days. Again, you didn't have yeah. the big firewalls they have today and all the protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some hackers had gotten in and they were literally bringing down our service. And our team was manually, our team of three engineers, like not a big team, just three people, was manually blocking IP addresses, trying to keep, the, trying to stop them from keeping us from running. And the minute, the seconds are counting down to the, till the show goes live. And then by a miracle, boom, we're back on. We're back on. All the oh users God. to get back into the system. Oh they blocked the hackers. The show ran. And guess what? It ran perfectly. Flaw Once we blocked the hackers, no problem. And it just ran frame accurate. Everybody played along back into the broadcast. So it was a huge hit. In fact, we ended up getting over a million users in the, you know, after we launched. So wow. nobody in those days, a million is a lot today, right? For a launch. But in those days, it was kind of unheard of. Like you only mm -hmm. got that if you went to television. Yeah. And so it was great, except we now had $0 in the bank, like no money. <laughs> <laughs> Not a penny in the bank. So we went back to the venture capitalists and said, look, we launched. It ran perfectly. You can fund us now. In fact, we've run multiple shows. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's proven. Yeah. And they looked at us and they, this is venture capital. You know what they call them in Silicon Valley? They call right. them vulture capital. Vultures. And they call <laughs> because vulture BC. capital. They call them for a reason. Because when they see somebody dying, they'll... <laughs> <laughs> go after the, uh -huh. the carry-on. So they uh, turned to us and they said, oh, we'll give you the $5 million, but we want you at half the valuation. 
Of course. We want to cut your valuation in half, 50% down. We just did a successful launch. We did, met all their criteria. They had, we had the terms. Everything was done, not just the term sheet, the contract. Mm -hmm. We were furious. Like, but we, what choice did we have? Like we had no money. So our, and we had these huge server bills that we're paying, you know, we had committed to MTV to run the show and yeah. we literally didn't have the money to run it. So we had the choice of either saying, screw you. Like we are not going to, we don't want you in our company. We're walking sure. or just taking their money and biting mm -hmm. the bullet. And guess what we did? You walked away. Like we're not taking it. We did. We <laughs> walked away. Okay. We said, we don't want to be in business with people who are going to do this to us. It's, mm -hmm. it's bad karma. It's not going to be a good relationship. Yeah. And we walked and you know what? It felt great. Mm -hmm. It felt great right up until the point we were out the door. Yeah. And then we realized we had no money. <laughs> and then all the stress happened. Like, like, oh, it felt great to tell them to, you know, screw off. But now we have no money. Yeah. And what are we going to do? And worse, it was like right before, it was literally right before Thanksgiving. And all the VCs shut down between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They like wow. disappear Just until CES of the next year or until like mid-January. Wow. They, they come back. So we are like, Oh my God, everybody's going. And, and we couldn't get a hold of any other venture capitalists. We didn't have any lined up. Yeah. And this is a lesson for every entrepreneur out there. First of all, if somebody uh, says, changes their terms and tells you to wait, you tell them, forget it right then. Right, <laughs> you know, right you don't away. wait like, nope, when they say, <laughs> if they're not going to invest now, you walk away. And then you have to be you you have to have other investors lined up. You can't count on just one like we did. We just counted on this one investor. Huge rookie mistake. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have other people lined up. So we, between the holidays, I managed by some miracle to get through to a company called Macromedia. And they are now Adobe. So I'll just call them Adobe from now sure. on. I got through to the president of Adobe and I literally got invited into his office and he said, you know, we, you're, what you're doing is pretty cool. We have this new technology called flash, which was, you know, a lot of people know about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you convert to flash, we would be interested in funding your company. Can you do it? I didn't know if we could convert to flash, but you know what I said? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can convert to flash. <laughs> we had no company if we didn't do it. We will convert, hand us the money. And he goes, well, you know, we can't lead the investment round. You need to get another VC uh, on uh, one of the established VCs to lead the round and we'll follow. And he goes, but I can introduce you to some VCs next year, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, after the new year. I've and heard so, that story before. <laughs> you've heard it before. Very right. painful. But we, again, we had no choice. So we waited, we went to CES, but this CES was very different than the last one we'd gone to a year ago, because now we are on literally the edge of dying. Like we had our hosting provider, we had to beg them to keep the servers running. Mm -hmm. Our employees, we had to say, please, please work. We can't pay you, but we will be able to pay you. We hope we'll be able to pay you. So we were just on a thread. 
And, you know, time is ticking. We go to CES, we get the cheapest, scummiest hotel room that we could, what we could afford. But we were so depressed, mm -hmm. we could hardly get out of bed, like, and attend the show. It was like, sure. we were just like, oh, we're dying. We get back to Silicon Valley. And now it's like almost February, like, because that's when everybody starts to filter back and you can actually set up a meeting and get into their offices. So they, he, the, Macro media, Adobe guys, fulfilled their promise. They walk us into a top tier VC on Sand Hill Road, which is the place where all the VCs have their mm -hmm. offices, the street. And he comes along with us. And I'm like, why is the president of Adobe coming along to hear us pitch a venture capitalist? Sure. And then I realized he's here for one reason. And that reason is if we, he wants to see what the venture capitalist says, because if a venture capitalist pokes holes in our business, Mm -hmm. He's not going to make any more introductions. This right. is his last introduction for us. And, and so we better do well because this is the <laughs> test. That's why he's sitting here. He's mm -hmm. not here for the fun of it. So he's sitting there. The venture capitalist comes in. We give our pitch. And I learned you do not show weakness. I did not tell him that we were totally out of money and, right. and on borrowed time. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I know we're dead then. Yeah. I just said, we have this deal with MTV. It got over a million users. It's going great. You know, this is a huge opportunity. Gave the whole pitch. And at the end of the pitch, I look at into his eyes. And you know what I saw? I saw nothing. Totally blank. Oh, <laughs> totally blank. Oh, wow. Stone face, totally blank. And then he says, excuse me, I have to get up. Uh, and do something, I'll be back in a few minutes. And he gets up and walks out of the room. And I look over at the uh, president of Adobe and I'm like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we, what, what, what's, and he doesn't know, right? Yeah. Um, no this idea. guy gave no reaction to the pitch. So we're sitting there, I'm sweating bullets. He comes back in the room, he sits down and he pushes a piece of paper towards me and says, here's your term sheet. He went to prepare the term sheet oh, wow. right there after the right pitch. And he said, I'm not going to give you $5 million. I want to give you $7 million. Wow. And we were like, I was like, whoa, I'll take seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm. And he's sure. going to do it at the same valuation, which gives him a little better deal to give more money at the same valuation. But yeah. who cares, right? I want right. the money more than the valuation at this point. <laughs> and it was the same valuation we got rejected on before, the sure. high valuation they wouldn't go for. So he gives this to me. And now my brain starts working, my poker player brain. And I'm like, you don't need the money. What you need is the money right now. Like you need the money this minute. Like you can't even wait any, any, you can't wait three months for the deal to close or even, you know, a month. You, you mm -hmm. don't have that time. So I turned, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, we'll take 7 million. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I screwed up. I said, we don't want 7 million. We only asked for 5 million, but I'll tell you what, we will split the difference. We will take 6 million. If you agree to get that money in our bank account in two weeks, all the legal contracts done, everything and the money in our bank in two weeks. He looked at me. He said, deal. We, I shook. And literally two weeks later, that money was in our bank account and we oh. were off to the races. So this is, you know, this is being an entrepreneur. Like it's near death experiences, it's near death, it's crazy yeah. stuff. You learn as you go, you figure it out. And, you know, 
you learn through doing, like I learned how to deal with the investors. And, you know, I thought back on my meeting. I was like, why did he go get that term sheet? Mm -hmm. Why did he walk out of the room and get that term sheet? And I said, what did I say that made him feel like he couldn't let me leave his office? Because yeah. that's what you want when you're closing a deal. doesn't matter if it's venture capital or a big sales deal, right? You mm -hmm. want the deal. You want to make them give you the, sign the deal there, which right. is almost impossible. Like, you know, you rarely get yeah. that especially when you're an unknown startup. So I, I thought back and I said one thing to him that was, was critical. During my pitch, I said, you know, you're the first investor that Adobe has introduced us to. They're going to introduce us to other investors. Boom. Boom. So that, that single thing planted the seed in his mind. If I let these guys leave, they're going to get another deal. Yeah. And this is why I tell entrepreneurs, and I write about it in my books, if you're going to close any deal, you have to balance fear and greed. Like you have to make them more afraid of losing the deal than they are afraid of losing their money. <laughs> they have to be greedy, right? So they have to want to close that deal mm. and not let you leave the room. So what you have, so saying that one thing, I was like, okay, that's how you close these big deals. I hadn't been able to do it up to this point, but that's what I should have done with the previous venture capital. Sure. It's like, if you want them to close. It's almost like you're creating FOMO for them, the fear of missing out. Like if Absolutely. we don't do this, you, have, but you create that. Somebody oh, else is going to do it and you're going to yeah. miss out. Exactly. Oh That's oh it's God. psychology. So you think these are all numbers because these VCs are really smart. They, they know all the numbers, but at the end of the day, all business plans begin to look the same. <laughs> like, and they know <laughs> that as soon as you leave, there's 10 other entrepreneurs waiting to walk in their office, right? Exactly. And pitch them for money. Yeah. If they can wait, they'll wait. Because weight gives them visibility, like the other VC firm. They're like, push, you know, let's wait yeah. a month. Let's see. We know they don't have anybody else on the line. Right. Let's see how they perform. It lowers our risk and gives us more leverage. Yeah. Same thing. You, you have to understand they can wait if you let them wait and they will wait. Because they don't have a rush into spending their money. They're like, oh, that's cool. We'll just keep more longer our money there's or whatever. always more entrepreneurs Just, who need money like exactly. there's, and if they don't feel like it's urgent or you're the one that they have to ha they have to feel like they have to get it this deal yeah and they're yeah. competitive so if they if you if you press those right buttons you get their competitive juices flowing and they will cough up the money wow i love that i have one question and then before uh, after that we're going to take a quick break and then go into the three hacks to share for the audience uh, what qualities do you look for when choosing a team or a co-founder? Biggest qualities I look for are I want them to be conscientious, meaning uh, when they say they'll do something, they do it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no point in working with people who promise stuff and don't deliver. So they have to have a history of doing this. Number two, I want people who are creative because I'm in a knowledge industry, right? I'm in uh, creating intellectual property, venture capital, this high growth, innovative industry. So I want people to ask a lot of questions, not mm -hmm. just of me, but of themselves, of our yeah. business. I don't want people to accept our business the way it is. I want them constantly questioning our business. And honestly, I want them smart. <laughs> I want highly into, I don't care what university you went to. I'm not mm -hmm. big on names. I can tell how smart you are after I talk mm -hmm. to you for 10 minutes. Like, and, and so I don't care if you didn't even go to college. If you have that brain that is super smart, that can yeah. figure out really hard problems, then I want you on my team. Those are the three biggest things I look for. You know, there's a lot of other things. Are they compatible? Can they communicate? But some, sure. you know, great people can 
can't communicate as well. They have to communicate on a base level, but I don't mm -hmm. expect them to be, you know, super articulate. You know, if you're yeah. an engineer and you can communicate through code, do it, right? <laughs> but, you know, I look for people who are self-starters too. If early stage, right? I want, like, if I'm talking to an engineer, I want an engineer who's at home on their mm -hmm. free time, not work time, hacking, like figuring out stuff, rewiring stuff, you know, yeah. writing code. Yeah. When I find those engineers who are like, you know, downloading the latest SDK and just playing with it. Why? Yeah. Because it's fun. You know, mm -hmm. that's the engineer I want. The marketing person, I want the marketing person who's, you know, reading all the latest books, thinking of new ideas, always experimenting in marketing. Doing a startup is about experimentation. Yes. It's about experimentation. You want people who are natural experimenters. I love that. Thank you so much for that answer. It really helps people listening to see, okay, where is your mindset at? How should you be presenting yourself or how should you be, should you have that, that heart of working, you know, being really into what you're passionate about? Yeah. I have another book, Make Elephants Fly, and it's all about this process of experimentation. It's I like, how do you experiment? Like, how do you innovate? within your company from the very earliest days. And it's hard because a lot of companies, they just latch onto an idea and stick with it. Mm. They almost always fail. Like it's almost never your first idea that is successful. It's almost like, how do you pivot successfully from one idea to another idea? And I was talking to a gentleman uh, yesterday and he's like, hey, initially we went with this market, but then that didn't work. So now we're going after this new market that's totally in line with what the product's able to do. And it's working with the people who are looking for this kind of solution, but they don't have the tech know-how to be able to do those kind of things. And I skipped over because the story would have been too long. The part of my story with the interactive TV company where we mm. tried two other things first mm. and then they didn't work. And because every company goes through this. No, 100%. We, we will definitely have to bring you back, Steve, uh, Stephen, for another episode. So we can go deeper into those books and talk about the startup journey, how to make elephant flies and whatnot. So let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Are you ready to amplify your business? SPI Pro is your gateway to elevate your entrepreneurial journey, offering cutting edge education, immersive training, and interactive collaborations. Whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned pro, SPI Pro is the community for you, providing you access to professional networking and advice to accelerate your growth. To join, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI Pro. Join SPI Pro and transform your unique journey into a, a success story. Again, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI Pro. Welcome back, guys. We've been talking with Captain Hoff here, Stephen Hoffman, really amazing human being. Uh, we were in the green room talking about how we literally gone through the same era, but in different places in the world. So it's really awesome to find somebody who's gone through the same journey. And as you were talking about being in Hollywood, I experimented with Hollywood through backstage.com and I did some screen work, but then I was also really passionate, passionate about doing films and, and doing documentaries. So had a little bit of experience, not at the level that you got to. So it's really awesome to hear all of that. Thank you. So, yeah. So Steve, go ahead and share the three hacks that entrepreneurs today can use 
in their startups and their business. And I know you've got three bucks, but three hacks that they can use immediately in their business. So uh, the first hack I want to give your audience is ask, don't tell. Mm. So when you go to your employees, instead of telling them what to do each day, you do this, you do that, don't do that. Ask them, what do you think you should be doing? Mm. How do you think you should do it? What's the best way to do it? Do you have any other ideas? As soon as you ask somebody, you make them way more innovative. You turn on their brain. Like instead of them waiting for you to, you to tell them, you're asking them. That's hack number one. Hack number two, when you are stressed out, which happens a lot to entrepreneurs, uh, what I recommend is that you uh, look back a into your past and try to remember what you were stressed out a year ago that day. Mm. A year ago that day, couldn't you remember what stressed you out? Probably something did. Or even that week, or even that whole month, can you remember mm -hmm. anything that stressed you out? I almost guarantee you were stressed out, mm -hmm. but you won't remember. And so mm -hmm. say, will I even remember this a year from now? <laughs> and two years, three years? No, like mm -hmm. you don't remember all those. You know, it has to be pretty catastrophic for you to even come to your mind. So sure. don't be stressed out now because you won't even remember it. Hack number three, uh, hack number three, when managing teams, when you are managing your teams, you need to look to people's strengths. Like do not put somebody in a role that they are not excellent at, mm. honestly. Like you have to understand what each person on your team is excellent at and move them in that direction. It might not be what they think they are good at. A lot of people yeah. think they're good at one thing, but they're actually really good at another thing. And this is, you need to move them around. And literally, if there is not a role in your company, a startup is too small, right? To have dead weight. If mm. there's not a role in your company where they can perform at an excellent level, you have to let them go because a, you can only have a few employees. And yeah. if you're going to build an excellent product or service, everybody needs to be doing an excellent job. And if they yeah, aren't what they're excellent at, you will build a mediocre product or service or yeah. even a good product but good products don't sell. Only excellence does. Being a startup, super competitive. Man, I love those hacks because they're immediately usable and worrying about stress because you're not going to remember it. And that's so true because our brains are designed to eliminate those stressful thoughts because it's not helpful for your survival. Right. And we only, we only remember like, catastrophic things, things that mm -hmm. were not all the little stresses during the day, sure. you know? Yeah. So don't get all stressed about the little things because they, you know, you won't care at all. Yeah. They won't make any difference in your life. I love it. Thank you so much, Steve. How about let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Number one, what is the one hobby that you wish you got into? Music. I wish I played mm -hmm. a musical instrument. You know, I don't, and I, I've always wished I did that. And now, you know, I'm so busy doing all this other creative stuff sure. that it never, I never was able to, well, I never committed the time to do it. Um, one thing that I picked up was we were at this event and there was a piano in this room. And as I'm waiting for people to come by, I was like, hey, I wonder if I can play this piano. And I, you know, pressing the buttons here and there, but then I found this app, simply play piano or something. And it basically teaches you. I'm like, oh, this is so ah, cool. Ah, nice. It's so nice. Like the app totally could listen to the piano sound. And like, oh, you're pressing the wrong button. Okay, now press this. And, and guide now. you through the, wow. It guided me through the thing. Modern so I was technology. like, okay. 
I need to buy me a piano. Yes, (laughs) I'll send you the link. (laughs) You send me the link. Yes. Next up, what did you want to be when you were a child? Ah, Well, I told you a little of this, but Mm -hmm. um, well, first, I wanted to be an architect uh, because I was doing a lot with blocks and my parents Mm -hmm. complimented me, (laughs) you know, I'm building (laughs) blocks. So I thought, oh, I could be an architect. Then my mom's an artist. I wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I wanted to be a game maker. Then I wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I became what I am. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what that is. I love that. Thank you. That's a very good question. I mean, very good answer. Thank you. Next up, what is your favorite movie or TV show? My favorite movie or TV show? Yeah. So I have, I'm going to answer this in a strange way. Okay. I've stopped watching a lot of TV or mm-hmm. Netflix. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching a lot of Netflix. Yes. But I'm really into podcasts and audiobooks. And, you know, that consumes a lot of my time. So I'm going to tell you that a book I just read, which is fascinating, Mm -hmm. and that is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, which is about our global, the world's global economy Mm -hmm. collapsing. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of scary. Now, I don't believe everything in the book, but it's a fascinating read. And then I'm also listening to another podcast about business called Business Wars, which Mm -hmm. is really fun. So... I love it. That's, those, those are my recommendations. Those are really cool. I'll, I'll definitely check out the global collapse because... And of course, this podcast, but I don't course. have to recommend it to your audience <laughs> because they are here. And you could listen to my podcast at Founderspace. So we have there a Founderspace podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for the plug. The, so the next question is really interesting because it's based off the previous question. What movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it? Ah. Oh, movie. You know, maybe The Shining. I would want to <laughs> uh, reinvent Jack Nicholson's character. <laughs> I love The Shining. Nice. I like it. Next up, who is your favorite superhero? A uh, favorite superhero? Well, for me, being Captain Hoff, it has to be Captain America. Yeah. Because we share a lot in common. Share like, <laughs> But I think you share a lot in common with Iron Man, too, because he is an inventor and he's creating all of these things. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he's more Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's more Elon Musk. <laughs> All right, last question. If you are a board game, what would it be? I would be Risk. That is my favorite board game. And that is the one I created probably 200 variations on Risk. And I'm not wow. joking. Like, wow. well, I just changed the rules, tweaking the rules, tweaking the yes. rules, like in all these, you know, we'd have nuclear risk, we would have, you know, medieval risk with castles and peasant revolts and oh, it went on and on. That is so, that is so cool. We'll have to definitely look those up. Man, this was a lot of fun. Thank you again so much for coming on and having a conversation here on the podcast. Appreciate uh, all the wisdom the knowledge and the stories that you shared with us. I am totally going to be talking about this for a very long time. Thank you. Thank you. Until the next episode, we'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to this Hacks and Hobbies episode. Junaid would love to hear from you, so please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Visit hacksandhobbies.com to find additional information on the guest today as well as the show notes.